0: Chapter Fourteen of the Turmoil. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Turmoil, Volume One of the Growth Trilogy, by Booth Tarkington, Chapter Fourteen. The outward usualness of things continued after dinner. It was Sheridan's custom to read the evening paper beside the fire in the library, while his wife, sitting nearby, either sewed from old habit, or allowed herself to be repeatedly baffled by one of the simpler forms of solitaire. Tonight she did neither, but sat in her customary chair, gazing at the fire, while Sheridan let the unfolded paper rest upon his lap, though now and then he lifted it, as if to read, and let it fall back upon his knees again. Bibbs came in noiselessly and sat in a corner doing nothing, and from a reception room across the hall, an indistinct vocal murmur became just audible at intervals. Once, when this murmur grew louder, under stress of some irrepressible merriment, Edith's voice could be heard. "'Bobby, aren't you awful!' and Sheridan glanced at his wife appealingly. She rose at once and went into the reception room. There was a flurry of whispering and the sound of tiptoeing in the hall, Edith and her suitor changing quarters to a more distant room. Mrs. Sheridan returned to her chair in the library. "'They won't bother you any more, Papa,' she said in a comforting voice. "'She told me at lunch he'd phoned he wanted to come up this evening, and I said I thought he'd better wait a few days, but she said she'd already told him he could.' She paused, then added, rather guiltily, "'I got kind of a notion maybe Roscoe don't like him as much as he used to. Maybe you better ask Roscoe, Papa.' And as Sheridan nodded solemnly, she concluded in haste, don't say i said to i might be wrong about it anyway he nodded again and they sat for some time in a silence which mrs sheridan broke with a little sniff having fallen into a reverie that brought tears that miss Vertrees was a good girl she said she was all right her husband had no difficulty in following her train of thought for he nodded once more affirmatively did you how did you fix it about the the realty company she faltered. Did you? He rose heavily, helping himself to his feet by the arms of his chair. I fixed it, he said in a husky voice. I moved Cantwell up and put Johnston in Cantwell's place and split up Johnston's work among the four men with salaries high enough to take it. He went to her, put his hand upon her shoulder, and drew a long, audible, tremulous breath. It's my bedtime, Mama. I'm going up he dropped the hand from her shoulder and moved slowly away but when he reached the door he stopped and spoke again without turning to look at her the realty company'll go right on just the same he said it's like it's like sand Mamma. it puts me in mind of children playing in a sand pile one of them sticks his finger in the sand and makes a hole, and another of em will pat the place with his hand, and all the little grains of sand run in and fill it up and settle against one another, and then right away it's flat on top again, and you can't tell there was ever a hole there. The realty company'll go on all right, mamma. There ain't anything anywhere, I reckon, that wouldn't go right on, just the same. And he passed out slowly into the hall, then they heard his heavy tread upon the stairs. Mrs. Sheridan, rising to follow him, "'turned a piteous face to her son. "'It's so forlone,' she said chokingly. "'That's the first time he spoke "'since he came in the house this evening. "'I know it must have hurt him "'to hear Edith laughing with that lambhorn. "'She oughtn't let him come, "'right the very first evening this way. "'She oughtn't to done it. "'She just seems to lose her head over him, "'and it scares me. "'You heard what Sibyl said the other day, "'and and you heard what, what, "'what Edith said to Sibyl, "'Bibbs finished the sentence for her.' We can't have any trouble of that kind, she wailed. Oh, it looks as if moving up to this new house had brought us awful bad luck. It scares me. She put both her hands to her face. Oh, Bibbs, Bibbs, if you only wasn't so queer, if you could only been a kind of dependable son, I don't know what we're all coming to. And weeping, she followed her husband. Bibbs gazed for a while at the fire. Then he rose abruptly like a man who has come to a decision, and briskly sought the room-it was called the smoking room-where Edith sat with mister Lamhorn. They looked up in no welcoming manner at Bibbs's entrance and moved their chairs to a less conspicuous adjacency. Good evening, said Bibbs pleasantly, and he seated himself in a leather easy chair near them. What is it? asked Edith, plainly astonished. Nothing, he returned, smiling. She frowned. "'Did you want something?' she asked. "'Nothing in the world. "'Father and mother have gone upstairs. "'I shan't be going up for several hours, "'and there didn't seem to be anybody left for me to chat with "'except you and Mr. Lamhorn. "'Chat with?' she echoed incredulously. "'I can talk about almost anything,' said Bibbs, "'with an air of genial politeness. "'It doesn't matter to me. "'I don't know much about business, "'if that's what you happen to be talking about.' but you aren't in business are you mr lamhorn not now returned lamhorn shortly i'm not either said bibbs it was getting cloudier than usual i noticed just before dark and there was wind from the southwest rain tomorrow i shouldn't be surprised he seemed to feel that he had begun a conversation the support of which now had become the pleasurable duty of other parties and he sat expectantly looking first at his sister then at lamhorn as if implying that it was their turn to speak edith returned his gaze with a mixture of astonishment and increasing anger while mister lamhorn was obviously disturbed though bibbs had been as considerate as possible in presenting the weather as a topic bibbs had perceived that lamhorn had nothing in his mind at any time except personalities he could talk about people and he could make love bibbs wishing to be courteous offered the weather lamhorn refused it and concluded from Bibb's luxurious attitude in the leather chair that this half-crazy brother was a permanent fixture for the rest of the evening. There was not reason to hope that he would move, and Lambhorn found himself in danger of looking silly. "'I was just going,' he said, rising. "'Oh, no!' Edith cried sharply. "'Yes, good night. I think I—' "'Too bad,' said Bibb's genially, walking to the door with the visitor. While Edith stood staring as the two disappeared in the hall, she heard Bibbs offering to help Lamhorn with his overcoat, and the latter rather curtly declining assistance, these episodes of departure being followed by the closing of the outer door. She ran into the hall. "'What's the matter with you?' she cried furiously. "'What do you mean? How did you dare come in there when you knew?' Her voice broke. She made a gesture of rage and despair, and ran up the stairs, sobbing. She fled to her mother's room, and when Bibbs came up, a few minutes later, Mrs. Sheridan met him at his door. "'Oh, Bibbs,' she said, shaking her head woefully, "'you oughtn't to distress your sister. She says you drove that young man right out of the house. You'd ought to been more considerate.' Bibbs smiled faintly, noting that Edith's door was open, with Edith's naive shadow motionless across its threshold. "'Yes,' he said, "'he doesn't appear to be much of a man's man." He ran at just a glimpse of one. Edith's shadow moved. Her voice came quavering. You call yourself one? No, no, he answered. I said, just a glimpse of one. I didn't claim. But her door slammed angrily, and he turned to his mother. There, he said, sighing. That's almost the first time in my life I ever tried to be a man of action, mother, and I succeeded perfectly in what I tried to do. As a consequence, I feel like a horse thief. "'You hurt her feelings,' she groaned. "'You must have gone at it too rough, Bibbs.' He looked upon her wanly. "'That's my trouble, mother,' he murmured. "'I'm a plain, blunt fellow. I have rough ways, and I'm a rough man.' For once she perceived some meaning in his queerness. "'Hush your nonsense,' she said good-naturedly, the astral of a troubled smile appearing. "'You go to bed.' He kissed her and obeyed. Edith gave him a cold greeting the next morning at the breakfast-table. "'You mustn't do that under a misapprehension,' he warned her, when they were alone in the dining-room. "'Do what under a what?' she asked. "'Speak to me. I came into the smoking-room last night on purpose,' he told her gravely. "'I have a prejudice against that young man.' She laughed. "'I guess you think it means a great deal who you have prejudices against.' In mockery she adopted the manner of one who implores. Bibbs, for pity's sake!' promise me don't use your influence with papa against him and she laughed louder listen he said with peculiar earnestness i'll tell you now because because i've decided i'm one of the family and then as if the earnestness were too heavy for him to carry it further he continued in his usual tone i'm drunk with power edith what do you want to tell me she demanded brusquely Lamhorn made love to sibyl he said. Edith hooted. She did to him? And because you overheard that spat between us the other day when I the same as accused her of it and said something like that to you afterwards? No, he said gravely. I know. How? I was there one day a week ago with Roscoe, and I heard Sybil and Lamhorn." Edith screamed with laughter. You were with Roscoe, and you heard Lamhorn making love to Sybil? No, I heard them quarreling. You're funnier than ever, Bibbs, she cried. You say he made love to her because you heard them quarreling? That's it. If you want to know what's between people, you can, by the way they quarrel. You'll kill me, Bibbs. What were they quarreling about? Nothing. That's how I knew. People who quarrel over nothing. It's always certain. Edith stopped laughing abruptly, but continued her mockery you ought to know you've had so much experience yourself i haven't any edith he said my life has been about as exciting as an incubator chicken's but i look out through the glass at things well then she said if you look out through the glass you must know what effect such stuff would have upon me she rose visibly agitated what if it was true she demanded bitterly what if it was true a hundred times over you sit there with your silly face half ready to giggle and half ready to sniffle and tell me stories like that about sibyl picking on bobby lamhorn and worrying him to death and you think it matters to me what if i already knew about their quarrelling what if i understood why she she broke off with a violent gesture a sweep of her arm extended at full length as if she hurled something to the ground Do you think a girl that really cared for a man would pay any attention to that or to you, Bib Sheridan? He looked at her steadily, and his gaze was as keen as it was steady. She met it with unwavering pride. Finally, he nodded slowly, as if she had spoken, and he meant to agree with what she said. "'Ah, yes,' he said. "'I won't come into the smoking-room again. I'm sorry, Edith. Nobody can make you see anything now. You'll never see until you see for yourself.' "'The rest of us will do better to keep out of it, especially me.' "'That's sensible,' she responded curtly. "'You're most surprising of all when you're sensible, Bibbs.' "'Yes,' he sighed. "'I'm a dull dog. Shake hands and forgive me, Edith.' Thawing so far as to smile, she underwent this brief ceremony, and George appeared, summoning Bibbs to the library. "'Dr. Gurney was waiting there,' he announced.' and Bibbs gave his sister a shy but friendly touch upon the shoulder as a compliment to the handshaking, and left her. Doctor Gurney was sitting by the log fire, alone in the room, and he merely glanced over his shoulder when his patient came in. He was not over fifty, in spite of Sheridan's habitual old Doc Gurney. He was grey, however, almost as thin as Bibbs, and nearly always he looked drowsy. Your father telephoned me yesterday afternoon, Bibbs, he said, not rising. Wants me to look you over again. Come around here in front of me, between me and the fire. I want to see if I can see through you. You mean you're too sleepy to move, returned Bibbs, complying. I think you'll notice that I'm getting worse. Taken on about twelve pounds, said Gurney. Thirteen, maybe. Twelve. Well, it won't do. The doctor rubbed his eyelids. You're so much better, I'll have to use some machinery on you before we can know just where you are. "'You come down to my place this afternoon. "'Walk down, all the way. "'I suppose you know why your father wants to know.' "'Bibbs nodded. "'Machine shop. "'Still hate it?' "'Bibbs nodded again. "'Don't blame you,' the doctor grunted. "'Yes, I expect it'll make a lump in your gizzard again. "'Well, what do you say? "'Shall I tell him you've got the old lump there yet? "'You still want to write, do you?' "'What's the use?' "'Bibbs said, smiling ruefully. "'My kind of writing.' "'Yes,' the doctor agreed. "'I suppose if you broke away and lived on roots and berries until you began to attract the favorable attention of editors, you might be able to hope for an income of four or five hundred dollars a year by the time you're fifty. "'That's about it,' Bibbs murmured. "'Of course I know what you want to do,' said Gurney drowsily. "'You don't hate the machine shop only. You hate the whole show, the noise and jar and dirt, the scramble, the whole bloomin' craze to get on.' "'You'd like to go somewhere in Algiers or to Terramina, perhaps, "'and bask on a balcony, smelling flowers and writing sonnets. "'You'd grow fat on it and have a delicate little life all to yourself. "'Well, what do you say? "'I can lie like sixty, Bibbs. "'Shall I tell your father he'll lose another of his boys if you don't go to Sicily?' "'I don't want to go to Sicily,' said Bibbs. "'I want to stay right here.' The doctor's drowsiness disappeared for a moment, and he gave his patient a sharp glance. "'It's a risk,' he said. "'I think we'll find you're so much better "'he'll send you back to the shop pretty quick. "'Something's got a hold of you lately. "'You're not quite so lackadaisical as you used to be. "'But I warn you, I think the shop will knock you "'just as it did before, and perhaps even harder, Bibbs.' "'He rose, shook himself, and rubbed his eyelids. "'Well, when we go over you this afternoon, "'what are we going to say about it?' "'Tell him I'm ready,' said Bibbs, looking at the floor. "'Oh, no,' Gurney laughed. "'Not quite yet, but you may be almost. "'We'll see. "'Don't forget I said to walk down.' "'And when the examination was concluded that afternoon, "'the doctor informed Bibbs that the result was much too satisfactory to be pleasing. "'Here's a new situation for a one-act farce,' he said gloomily to his next patient when Bibbs had gone. "'Doctor tells a man he's well, and that's his death sentence, likely.' damn funny world. Bibbs decided to walk home, though Gurney had not instructed him upon this point. In fact, Gurney seemed to have no more instructions on any point, so discouraging was the young man's improvement. It was a dingy afternoon, and the smoke was evident not only to Bibbs's sight, but to his nostrils, though most of the pedestrians were so saturated with the smell they could no longer detect it. Nearly all of them walked hurriedly, too intent upon their destinations to be more than half aware of the wayside. They wore the expressions of people under a vague yet constant strain. They were all lightly powdered, inside and out, with fine dust and grit from the hard paved streets, and they were unaware of that also. They did not even notice that they saw the smoke, though the thickened air was like a shrouding mist, and when Bibbs passed the new Sheridan apartments, now almost completed, he observed that the marble of the vestibule was already streaky with soot, like his gloves, which were new. That recalled to him the faint odour of gasoline in the coupe on the way from his brother's funeral, and this incited a train of thought which continued till he reached the vicinity of his home. His route was by a street parallel to that on which the new house fronted, and in his preoccupation he walked a block farther than he intended, so that having crossed to his own street, he approached the new house from the north, and as he came to the corner of Mr. Vertree's lot, Mr. Vertree's daughter emerged from the front door, and walked thoughtfully down the path to the old picket gate. She was unconscious of the approach of the pedestrian from the north, and did not see him until she had opened the gate, and he was almost beside her. Then she looked up, and as she saw him, she started visibly, and if this thing had happened to Robert Lamhorn, he would have had a thought far beyond the horizon of faint-hearted Bibbs's thoughts. Lambhorn, indeed, would have spoken his thought. He would have said, You jumped because you were thinking of me. End of chapter 14